1: Find Reese's now at a store near you.
2: Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. The Balkan region has been fractured by wars, politics, religion, and geography, but it's bound together by a folklore filled with shared monsters, ghosts, fairies, and more. From ghostly suitors to bird legged witches, there's plenty of fuel for fireside stories on a cold winter's night.
0: It's actually
2: quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape,
3: part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch
1: Ness Monster.
0: Monster Talk.
2: Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
2: Our guest for this episode is Christopher Klimovitz, who will introduce himself in a moment. He comes bearing many stories and a lot of details about a region of the world that I know little about. Maybe you don't know much about the Balkan region either. Before this interview, I'm not certain I could have pointed to it on a map, but I can now. And even so, while much of the history and the culture of the region may be unfamiliar to a lot of listeners, you've probably heard of the legendary creatures and spirits that are said to roam the region. I love it when I learn new things while doing these shows, and I had that experience throughout this interview. I hope you do, too.
0: Monster dog. We thought we'd just let, if you wanted to...
1: Yeah, introduce you know, yourself. and
0: Introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. So, um, basically, I am originally from the Baltimore area. Uh, but I, basically uh, oh, I thought we were around. doing the Balkans, so, okay, Baltimore <laughs> Yay, folklore, got it, got it, so a little, <laughs> yes, little yes. different.
0: Baltimore. Baltimore, Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> vampire.
1: Close enough. Well, we got our ground Poe, you know, yep, that's we, had right. of, we were known <laughs> as the Mob City, and uh, we're Charm City as well. It's funny how that works, um, but I moved around quite a lot. So I went up to school in Pennsylvania, did my university uh, studies up there, uh, Lebanon Valley College for my bachelor's in political science and uh, legal studies. And then I did my master's, uh, let's see, my first master's at Drexel in public policy, particularly focusing on public health. And then because I love education so much, I went for a second master's at uh, arcade University in international relations, particularly focusing on Eastern Europe and the Balkans, which I've loved since I was young. And I did part of my studies and research uh, at Babespoia University in Cluj-Napoca, Romania. You can just say Cluj. And then I did uh, international development work with the State Department and uh, the, the Peace Corps through uh, in Albania, and uh, I spent 25 months uh, in Albania. Just got back the spring, and I've been hanging around ever since. And I am uh, contemplating maybe moving back to Europe, and uh, or maybe staying here for worst case. But ideally, I would love to move back to Europe again. So um, that's my main focus. Is Particularly that's, on the borders in Eastern that's
2: Europe. Cool. So, so, wow. so you were basically two masters. I was going to say, well, there's that. Are you saying that you basically were a vampire hunter for the State Department? Is that?
1: <laughs> I'm a <laughs> I criminal or deny?
0: <laughs> Two masters. There, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, no man
2: can serve two masters. I
1: read that in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I'm also looking at maybe huh. doing a PhD. So, uh, particularly again, it'll be on Eastern Europe. I just can't seem to get away from the area. So.
2: This is probably is stereotypical of Americans, but you know, a lot of us may not know much about the Balkan region. I mean, outside of the, you know, I remember some news stories about some kind of conflict or something. But the, uh, yeah, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what is the Balkan region? Because that's not really a country. What what is that?
1: The Balkans. It's a good, great question to start with. I always try to explain to people: think of where Italy is. If you can picture Italy as the boot, and if you can try to think of where Greece is. It's in that area. So you're talking about a Mediterranean culture with the Adriatic, uh, around the Adriatic Sea and the Ionian Seas. So it's also surrounded by the Black Sea. And you can think of maybe Russia on a map. The actual Balkan location technically is in Bulgaria and very, very extreme eastern Serbia. It's where the Balkan mountain range is, where the name comes from um originally a lot of this area uh goes back to well really the roman empire we, there was about 17 different roman emperors from the balkans region um including mostly from what else serbia and you had uh particularly focused in the uh, time of the byzantines even though they would never call themselves that they would call themselves the eastern roman empire and they were battled this is battled back and forth and tossed around because it had a lot of flat plains and it has a lot of not really high mountains. Don't think of like the Alps or the Rockies. These are, they're pretty mountains to look at but are easy to get over. And this area stretches through what used to be the former Yugoslavia. This area stretches to what is Romania, Bulgaria. And it gets really ambiguous um, because some include Hungary in that area. Some include Greece in this area. Some include Turkey in this area. Um, but for the general history overall is that up until about the later 1700s, This area was known as uh, Turkey in Europe because a lot of this area is part of the Ottoman Empire, the Habsburg Empire, and the Romanov empires. And then by the 1800s, the name Balkan came about because a lot of your uh, Western explorers um, like George Byron and what else not started going there and uh, writing down about stories they've heard or this area has this and this group is there. And you get all these various different demographic data that's really some good and some pretty terrible um that came back and it became part of the western beliefs and by world war one right before world war one and then of course into the 90s everyone thinks of the implosion of yugoslavia and unfortunately balkans has become a very negative term um so i prefer to say southeastern europe but for a general audience i will say the balkans
2: does this include did you say romania
1: yes so i'll give you the countries of generally where let's just say ambiguous as the Balkans are, let's just, I'll give you a country list as much as I can. Um, so you had the former Yugoslavia, which includes Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Montenegro, Serbia, Kosovo, slash Kosovo, depending on who you ask. And Macedonia, renaming itself the North Macedonia.
2: Yeah. Then you That's have, been in the news lately. Yeah,
1: exactly. Which is a yeah. fascinating case in itself. And you have Albania, uh, which has always been independent since 1912. Uh, then you have Greece, then you have Bulgaria, Romania, and some include Hungary in there. Some include Moldova, but I tend not to because you could also intend to include Ukraine in there because part of it juts into the area. But Ukraine and Moldova, because they're not in the European Union, um, as some of these other countries in the Western Balkans are, I include that's more is Eastern Europe. And Turkey is ambiguous because where Istanbul is, that is technically in Europe um but turkey straddles across into asia as well as named asia minor anatolia and i'm looking at work and i'm looking at cambridge actually for doing my phd and i'm looking at their programs wow so i particularly focus on like politics
0: so chris um when you talk about the balkans it's uh it seems to be one of those pan-ethnic terms that really covers a lot of different Diverse cultures. Absolutely. Uh, and so I was thinking in particular about um, the former Yugoslavia and just how strange it was that all of these countries were uh, combined together that are just so dis- different. Absolutely. Um, you know, Serbian and Croatia in particular, they've got their own languages and their own religions and even different writing systems. They're just so dissimilar. Sure. Um, so it just seems like you, you do have a lot of diversity throughout the Balkans.
1: Well, if I may speak a little bit on that real quick, it's interesting. So the whole thing with Yugoslavia, we're coming up, this is the Veterans Day coming here in the United States, being the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War, the Great War. And so it was thanks to the end of the Great War and the collapse of your czarist Russian empire, the Austro-Hungarian empire, and your Ottoman empires that basically created um, what people think of with uh, Woodrow Wilson and the 14 points. It was an assimilationist policy where basically took these different ethnic diverse groups and you forced them together with basically Western support. A lot of British, American, French support. Um, They were basically created as a bulwark um, between what became the uh, the Bolshevik rise in the East and your various crumbling empires in Central Europe and uh, a weakened Germany by this point. So with your Yugoslavia... It was formed originally in 1918 with as a patchwork of various different ideals and various reviews on what would a Yugoslavia look like. It didn't even take the name Yugoslavia until 1929. This is how crazy um, and very uh, contentious the situation was at the time. It started calling itself by the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, and it decided in the beginning, well, we'll have a, two ways of writing. We'll have a Latin-based and a Cyrillic-based writing system. And basically, you'll go over there and you'll still see Cyrillic and Latin names. It it just all depends on where you're located. And the Croats and the Serbs for a very long time have seen each other as kind of like as frenemies. Um, They will strangle each other, but at the same time, there's a lot of work where they work together. So it's a very interesting relationship. But as I was told in the former Yugoslavia, when you would fly between, say, like Belgrade and Zagreb, which aren't terribly far by flight they would have to give the languages like seven different languages on the plane by the time they finished giving the seven languages (laughs) you're already on the ground so already landed in zagreb (laughs) so
0: and i think wasn't it um a, a serbian guy who started the first world war and I'm getting off track here now, but killed Franz Ferdinand. To was an a, extent, yes, assassinated him. Yes, uh, there
1: was there was a large yes, Gavrilo Princip. Uh, he was a Bosnian right. Serb. Um, yes, uh, it's a contentious topic in that area. So I'll talk about with him. I was there in 2014 for the centennial of the start of World War One, and you have to understand that over there, for a lot of people, he's seen as a nationalist figure. This idea of he mm-hmm. he was pro-Yugoslavia, pro-Southern Slav. That's what Yugoslavia means, the Southern Slavs. Um, And so basically, for a number of many complex reasons, yes, uh, he did assassinate the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, who had his own very complex uh, beliefs for the region of the Balkans. Um, So yes, uh, that was in Sarajevo, in what is now Bosnia-Herzegovina. Then it was uh, part of recently annexed uh, Austro-Hungarian Bosnia.
0: Such a complex history and and just constantly changing names. It's very absolutely very difficult. But this is this was not what we wanted to to talk about the entire time. History, right. even though it is fascinating.
1: The folklore, um, though, is very complex and it blends in with the history. That's what's beautiful about it. We probably should talk just a little bit
2: about the conflicts in the area. I know you talked about uh, World War One. Uh, that's a pretty well known one. Uh, but absolutely. right now, I mean, this seems like uh, uh, culturally. Uh, It reminds me of a lot of regions in the world where you have uh, a lot of ethnic and and class uh, divisions, but Mm -hmm. they're kind of suppressed by a totalitarian totalitarian regime for a while. And then when those uh, strong uh, controls break up, then everything divides again, right? So when there's no Soviet Union holding everything together, then... And maybe maybe there was always conflict there. I don't know, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times we rely on the news stories to come out. And if the news stories are being suppressed by a unfree uh, or, you know, government controlled media, who knows? So what's your take on that? I mean, like, was the region fairly stable during Soviet control or we were just ignorant of the conflict? Good question.
1: Um, so I would say I would start from this is that, you know, people automatically go back. And I understand they all I used to think this too. people automatically go back to it's still somewhat conflict ridden. I would say for the last decade, it is the most stable time in the Balkans history uh, right now. And uh, while there are ethnic tensions and unfortunately, conflict could arise is become far less likely in part because of a lot of diplomatic effort, um, in part because of the European Union. Um, in part because of regional integration is growing. it's It's very, very thankful. Though there are still hot spots for Europe's we talking about European Union in general and Europe in general, it is still the least uh, you know cohesive part of Europe. And so that does drive away some business and uh, unfortunately does continue some of the tensions. And you'll particularly find that right now, your biggest tensions are in countries like Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is very ethnically, religiously and historically and politically divided. Um, North Macedonia and Greece still with the name issue and regional issues, and of course the issue with Kosovo and Serbia, which continues to this very day where Serbia still recognizes Kosovo as part of it, even though close to about half of the world would say Kosovo is an independent country and because of the genocide and I would argue and I'm maybe without <laughs> offending any of my any Serbian viewers or listeners mm-hmm. um, Kosovo went through a massive genocide, and it cannot be pieced together back with Serbia like that. So Kosovo is an independent country, um, and it it should be given the assistance it needs for that. But in general, in terms of conflict, uh, basically a lot of your major conflicts for this region go back to the 1870s through the 1890s and early 1900s. Albania was the last to be created in 1912. A lot of originals like Romania and Bulgaria formed in the 1870s, uh, basically as the Russians, the British, the French start seeing weaknesses um, with the Ottomans and to a lesser degree with the Russians after the Crimean War of the 1850s. Then World War One comes about and you have your Balkan Wars before that in 1912, 1913. And then you have uh, 1930s and 40s with World War II. And the region basically in 1938 is sold off to the Germans. Um, basically, after Munich. And uh, the Germans and the Italians basically take full advantage and basically create into colonies or puppet states. And this is where you see a lot of your ethnic conflicts occur. There's areas of genocide that occur during this time. Um, this is where you have mass deportation of Jews with the Holocaust from this region. Elie Wiesel, if you know the name, I he do. was deported. He was from Romania. Um, in, uh, in Cluj, where I used to go to school, and he was deported from that area. And you had competing, competing different regimes, competing for different territories. And with the Soviet Union, it's, it's very easy to look at a book from the time. I always was fascinated with this looking back in like high school. And in high school, you'll see pictures of the Cold War, and you have East and West. It was not this simple. The Soviet Union itself was incredibly divided, built on an old czarist Russian system, that was a prison house of nations. And you had competing different groups within competing ethnic groups, all being torn apart and thrown to ground with each other. And so basically the Soviets, when they uh, moved into what is now the Balkans region and a lot of central Europe, they basically put that system in place. So they took a bunch of old monarchies and weak republics and dictatorships and just replaced them with their versions of dictatorship and a lot of them were very shaky from the beginning and didn't already start to seal up until the 1960s and 70s. And by this point, the world was changing around them. And so by the 1980s and early 90s, all of these systems basically collapsed. And this is where you started seeing a lot of the issues with Yugoslavia. Romania nearly burst to pieces because it is actually very ethnically diverse as well. And uh, you saw minor strife in Bulgaria. Albania went into a civil war in the 1997 time over money. And pyramid schemes. So this area is starting to get back and starting to show some democratic hopes. Um, Contentious, not perfect, but hopefully it's getting there.
2: Just to to be clear, we're talking about pyramid schemes. There are no pyramids in that region.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, (laughs) there is actually a pyramid in Albania, and it was built to the uh, Stalinist dictator Enver Hoxha. It's in the capital of Tirana, or Tirana, as most people say it, unless you're like me and lived in the north of Albania. Um, so, yes, there literally was a pyramid built to him as a cultural monument, and it still stands to this day. And, yes, it was a pyramid scheme uh, that was set up in Albania, um, and people were basically went from having living under Stalinist and then earlier a monarchy with dictatorship, um, and then told, well, you can make tons of money and people invested in this and lost everything and uh-huh. it turned into a very bloody civil war and finally stopped and uh, now the country is moving in a positive direction. Sorry, I was I was referring it, sort of jokingly to the Bosnian pyramid. Yes. Sorry. That yet. is true. So. That, that that
2: that's, that's not, not real. I mean <laughs> No, not. No, no, no. Um it's a good myth. No, no, it is. So so what I'm hearing though is we've got a very conflicted region with lots of Ethnic differences, cultural differences, religious differences, bound together by common monsters. Is that right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. In the Balkans, everything comes down to basically witches or vampires. Pick one. (laughs) It's basically what it comes down to. Or ghosts. And a lot of ghost stories. A lot of ghosts. I shouldn't forget Well, I think we should uh, should talk about all of them.
0: Let's start with vampires then, I guess.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So vampires, basically, you have three competing vampire uh, regions, you have uh, the Bulgarians, your Romanians and your Serbians will all tell you, we have the original vampires, we have the best vampire tales, and uh, the rest are just <laughs> making this all up. So, or they don't have as good. Um, so there's a lot of debate on where vampire comes, but it may come from Serbian or at least some branch of uh, Old Slavic. Um, as Bulgarian is also a Slavic-based language. Romanian is a Latin-based with a weird mix of uh, other language and tongues that come into it, your Mm -hmm. Greek, Turks, and Russian. So um, in vampire in Romania, keep in mind, a lot of this area, when we think about vampires, we're not talking about always necessarily your blood-sucking vampires, or they're not looking like uh, Twilight or Anne Rice version. Right. Uh, Well, let's actually. So Anne Rice did the book write, did write about uh, they went to autumn in bulgaria and they found uh, these old school type of vampires that these these are uh, ugly vampires that uh know either come in like a spirit form or physical form they speak people that uh live terrible lives or did something wrong or weren't buried correctly or uh some curse was placed upon them it's there's a long it depends on the tale we're going with mm-hmm. uh, but at least for the romanians i can talk more about because um, when I lived there, I went around and did a lot of research on this and asking people. Um, like in your cities, people don't actually believe in any of this. So when you go to Romania and you ask about vampires, they'll tell you, "Oh, you mean like you're joking, right?" Or they, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the blood bank uses uh, Dracula as like one of their symbols. Um, you'll see like uh, Dracula is, like on murals on walls, like 3D glasses. It's, it's more like in the fun. In your villages. Right. This is where it gets more interesting. And so there's different types. You have Strigoi. You have Muro, which is the Roma, i.e. the gypsies, um, Mm -hmm. who call them that. And you have your, it's going to sound familiar, Nosferatu. So that's where this comes from. The name Nosferatu comes originally from your Romanian in your central, in your Valachia region. Nosferatu Um, being the sequel. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And uh, basically in the Nosferatu film, the 1922 German film, it's actually not a too bad depiction of what vampires are thought to look like. They're not pretty by any means. Um, They will either steal your essence. They'll drink your blood. They'll come after their family members. They'll attack their villages. It really depends. And so, of course, I think we should talk about, uh, of course, the Dracula, the most famous vampire of them all who was not really a vampire. So (laughs) Vlad Draculia, the name Draculia means little dragon or little devil, depending on context. Um, So Dracula took the name from his father, who uh, was also by the name of Dracul. Dracul um, basically meaning dragon or devil, and it comes from the old Holy Roman Empire. And it was the order given to him because he was protecting Christendom, i.e. Europe, from those evil Ottoman Empire Turks. And so who are bringing Islam uh, through the region. And so Dracula was raised as a Janissary, or Janissary, some will say it as, but Janissary in the Turkish and Balkan. And it's basically, in the beginning, it was a feared group of Christian boys who are kidnapped from their homes across the region and brought to what is now Istanbul, then called Constantinople. Fun fact, Istanbul on the side means uh, to the city in Greek. So uh, basically... He went back to Wallachia. This was before there's ever Romania. The name Romania doesn't come really back until around the 1850s. So he comes back and he defends his small kingdom, and uh, he later dies in battle. And yes, he was very well feared. You'll hear a lot of folklore and tales of people who uh, will tell you, yes, he would leave a gold chalice out in the streets, and uh, people would never touch it because they're afraid. You know, they basically would be sent to death. Um, because if they touched this chalice, there was to be no fear in the land. Essentially, you know, no one would ever do anything, you know, malevolent to each other. Um, so this is the beginning of a lot of your what would become later your modern dictatorships in the region. Is this is what they call vovoides, your princes, and so Dracula. Um, basically, yes, he was the impaler, and the term in Romania is cepeș, and that cepeș um became his moniker particularly in the old holy roman empire and this is where you'll see the uh, images of him drinking uh blood and this is where you see him feasting before the corpses he didn't drink blood uh in short he was ruthless as they all were back then and uh he did impale people particularly those who uh, broke the laws for various different reasons and your ottoman turks and he repelled uh sultan murad from entering into what is now romania and and into central europe into the gates of vienna the holy roman empire of the time so he was a a major protector the stories start coming about later as him being a a, you know a strigoi a vampire um because he was decapitated and uh, supposedly came back from the grave with that but you'll find in a lot of your Romanian lore that a vampire can be defeated uh, basically by uh, decapitating the head, uh, running a stake through the heart, boiling the heart, and if somebody's afflicted, um, drinking it. And this is where it may sound familiar, like with the Mercy Brown case. Um, a lot of this got reshuffled in and uh, into Western European tradition. Well, how did all of this get into it? Well, a lot of it comes back from uh a lot of your western europeans in the 1700s and your 1800s making trips into the region and they would hear, you know, with their translators or you know or whatnot, you know, these stories. Um and so you have these famous cases like in Serbia of uh of a Peol, or Pavle, of uh basically a haiduk. He is a marauder, this bandit who, you know, dies an unpleasant death and uh He comes back to attack a village in Ottoman, Serbia. Mm -hmm. And so you have your uh, Holy Roman slash uh, Austrian Empire coming through their troops and they're starting to push through this area. So they're bringing their ideas of uh, what they've heard, mixing it in with what they're hearing or parts that they're hearing. And it starts to get this weird blended vampire story. Mm We're going from the ugly vampire that is coming from the grave as a corpse or a spirit of some sort, um, attacking your essence, attacking, you know, your life, to, well, they start becoming very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you start getting your Camillas being written, um, your Byron start writing about uh, vampires at the time, and of course, of uh, um, course, Bram Stoker in 1897, uh, taking various different bits and lore, he's hearing about uh, an Austrian archduchess. Uh, you have your tale of uh, Elizabeth Báthory, or Elizabeth Bathory, as non-Hungarian would say, uh, mm-hmm. the vampire queen. Uh, who, she, she
2: had quite the skin regimen.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have to sad. do a show on her sometime. Yeah, we've been yeah. meaning to for a while.
1: Really should, but in a short about her, Elizabeth Báthory was a Protestant Hungarian princess. Um, who basically inherited a lot of land and castles in what is now Slovakia and Czatarice today. Um, so basically she never actually did any of the things that was said, but it was a very good tale to make that she was torturing young women and bathing in their blood. And it, it just, it makes for a really good story. Um, not the imprisoning a noble woman who, because of her religious beliefs, and she may have been a little off in some cases on some of her beliefs and things. And, uh, we should just throw her in prison and, uh, you know, execute everyone else around her and take her land from her. Um, So this was
0: all really propaganda and and just cautionary tales or something?
1: Absolutely. A strong woman with Protestant beliefs in a very Catholic region And uh, challenging the norms. Uh, Yes, it looked very strange. And because luckily, in a sense, uh, they didn't murder her outright. They just imprisoned her. And uh, she died in prison um, in 1616. Um, You can visit what's left of her castle in Slovakia. Um, It's basically most of it's been burned down. But it's a beautiful region. I highly recommend. Uh, That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned
2: the word haiduk. Uh, Yes. And that reminds me of the song, uh, Dragon's Tey But So that's, uh, yeah. what does that word mean? Because I re- I mean, like that really stuck out to me. That's a very memorable word
1: in those lyrics. Haiduk, hey, it depends on the context. It's from old Turkish. Um, you'll find it has a lot of Turkish language, uh, languages mixed into the Balkans languages. I do, could mean, um, it could mean something positive, I guess, but originally it meant someone who's like a marauder and a bandit. Okay. Basically. Well, I, but, I, it's a fun, it's a fun song. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, that band's actually from Moldova. Uh, yeah, it, it's, a. Uh, You'll still, excuse me. You'll still hear it in uh, Romania at times. It's a, it's a fun song. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, sorry. I just, it just, it's weird
2: to me that like uh, I don't really know the language at all. But you said that word. i was like, <laughs> I know. Boom. I know a lyric. What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Okay, um, well,
0: sorry. I, no, no, no. Uh, go ahead. I wondered if we could go back to uh, Arnold Paol or Arnold Paoli or Arnold Pavel. I've heard lots of different pronunciations yes. of his name. I think that was one of the first vampire stories that I'd ever um, heard about. And I've spoken on this show before about uh, Usborne books on vampires and haunted houses and mysterious powers and things like this. And so in one of these books that I read as a kid, it had the story of Arnold Paol um, and I've heard that that's the first vampire legend. Do you know that if, if that's true or that's if the vampire first. legends go further back than that?
1: They go further back than that, much further back. But that's the first like modern, let's just say modern interpretation because this is 1726. And I was mentioning before, this is when your Holy Roman Empire is really pushing in and fighting, uh, dealing with the Ottoman Empire. They basically are competing mm-hmm. over each other for this region, for different uh, land. And you have your start of your... Ah, uh, Serbian and some of your various different Balkan ethnic uprisings to varying degrees, um, but it really does come till eighteen hundreds with this. So basically, as they're pushing through, they're taking a lot of what they've heard from their some French traditions and cautionary tales across their lands. Um, in Hungary, you have your own version of vampires. In Slovakia, you know, then part still part of Hungary at this time, had their own mm-hmm. versions of very odd hugging vampires that they brought along. So all these are stories are hugging
0: vampires together.
1: yes vampires that will hug you and drink of your blood yes
0: you're <laughs> going have to hear some more about those ones
1: oh absolutely uh so basically all these tales are getting blended together and so basically you're talking about a lot of these people don't speak serbian or hungarian or various other different regional dialects and languages and they take what they can get out of them and it's easy to take bits and pieces and start meshing them together in your own version of a frankenstein tale uh, except a vampire in this one a lot of people, when they think of this area, they think of, well, still at this time, calling it the Orient. And this is a <laughs> mysterious region. You want, you take everything there is mysterious, and you want to bring it back, you know, the land of concubines, beautiful women and food, you know, it, it, it's a, it's the halfway point to the Middle East and to Egypt at this time, and th- th- this is a, all these tales are blending together, and this is where you get this with Pavle Payol's story. Um, what is a lot of the truth of it? Well, he, Probably, you know, it, it, it seems that he died a pretty terrible death. Uh, either he was murdered or he died of some type of illness. I've heard different tales on that. Um, yeah, I've heard that, that he
0: uh, fell off a wagon or something. And I uh, know I mentioned exactly. that to Blake the other day, and he made a joke about all of us falling off the wagon at some point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I heard he'd broken his neck or something. And Exactly. Um, yeah, but... and th- th- this is a really highly documented case or, or was at the
1: time. Absolutely, and it became big in the books. Uh, And this is where, this is why I would say it was your um, first beginning for your stories like Byron take up, you know, and your stories with Barham Stoker and with the story like Camilla and everything. This is what really started off and brought it back. Now, there were stories in France and stories in what is now Austria and parts of Germany where you would hear similar stories, but they weren't really called that. They all did their own special type of name for them. Um, But this was really what started it off. It's funny how that works, you know. How funny how that all blends together. Um, yeah. Uh,
2: Byron, uh, he gets heavily involved in the Greek Civil War. Yeah. Right. And and then he has that famous uh, party. Is it is it mm-hmm. Link Geneva? Is that where they were at? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think we we're eighteen sixteen. Yeah. And yep. so he has uh, uh, Shelley. And uh-huh. Mary Wollstonecraft and uh-huh. Dr. Polidori, is that right? I think Yes. Okay. Yes. And so then the idea is they're going to have a, a writing contest. Uh, Correct. Uh, and the doctor writes a story about a vampire that sort of predates Dracula as probably the earliest, most, I guess, popular vampire fiction uh it's -hmm. it's before dracula it's before varney the vampire and then and and then mary writes uh what becomes the story of frankenstein
1: i don't know what Shelley wrote i don't know what byron wrote a fragment of a story a fragment of a ghost story is what it was called yeah uh yeah now you know i'm just thinking my mind now in the western tradition this is where this all began but there are vampire tales going well before then this has been in this folklore for a very long time um this actually a lot of it arguably goes back to the roman empire so recently just within the last month or so there was another case of a grave that was opened towards the end of the roman empire of a child that was found with a rock stuffed in its mouth and it's strongly suspected that this child after death was suspected of being a vampire and so there is a roman tradition of uh you know, drinking blood and how the dead were coming back. And so people were, you know, exhumed after their death and tested. And if they were found to be a vampire, cut off the head, stuff a stone in the mouth, and you put ritual garlic and roses. And you find this throughout the region, also in Bulgaria, in Serbia. Um, These stories, where it all originally came from, it's hard to say, but they all, because this area traveled so quickly because of the routes were so easy to go through, um, from your Roman Empire times, they, they just traveled and they all collected together. In fact, um, Attila the Hun, he refused to march through some of these areas because he heard there are vampires in this area. He heard about these stories of, you know, these plagues and vampire plagues. He refused to sack a lot of these areas because of that. Um, so these stories go back a long time, but they really didn't start getting documented until about the seventeen and 1800s.
0: Haven't there been a number of cases, even in recent years, of... Uh, bodies being exhumed and they've found skeletons with rocks in their mouths and stakes oh. driven through the chest area and uh, even ashes scattered on the, the grave and things like that uh, from yeah, Poland and, and basically other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this was a common practice then to, um, to prevent people from coming back as vampires or in the belief that they were already vampires?
1: Uh, to the belief they already became uh, they are already turned into the vampire. In Romania, you'll have different contexts where, in some cases, it's funny, you have your werewolf and vampire lore combined, um, where, try trying to remember which order it is, it's where the werewolf, if it's, no, yeah, if a werewolf is killed, they will become a vampire. But if you have to chop off the head, if you don't decapitate the werewolf, they will definitely come as a vampire. You have the, It all blends together. But yeah, if you want to avoid becoming a vampire, you want to live a good holy life, particularly in the Orthodox Church, mostly in these areas, or or in the Sunni Islamic faith, um, depending on the context of the region we're talking of. Uh, and you basically, when you're buried, you want your family to take care of you. Make sure they bury you facing east. You have to make sure there's no black cats, no black dogs around, or just no pets in general. No one crosses above the casket or the coffin. Um mm-hmm treat it with respect, make sure that, you know, no one drops you around the way. Any little thing like this could suddenly turn you into a vampire.
0: I've also heard of, uh, of some people being buried face down. Wasn't that believed to be more difficult for them to get out of the grave if they uh, uh-huh. awoke as vampires?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you have all these different measures. If people thought that someone would become a vampire, you just automatically, eh, well, we're just going to nail them down and uh, stake them through or yeah, you turn them upside down. Um, Or you bless them with either the Quran or the the Bible. It all depends um, Mm -hmm. on each different culture and different region. When you live in the Balkans, when it comes to either your folklore, it either basically boils down to witches, vampires or vampire-like creatures, and Mm -hmm. of course uh, your fairies. So I think I'll start with real quick with fairies particularly in your very Western Balkan traditions, I can speak about your Albanian context from the, when I lived there. So when I lived in Albania, I lived in the region called Debar County, Chakou i Dibras, in Albanian. And this is in the northeast of the country, um, and it's a very mountainous area. And so there's this belief that the Fae, um, they basically live up in the mountainsides, um, mm-hmm. and they protect each mountain. Or there's a stream or a lake.
0: Monster
2: dog. Hey there, Monster Talk listeners. We've been doing this show for almost a decade, and in that time, to the best of my recollection, we've lost two episodes. We've had equipment failure, we've had the occasional software glitch, or even a bad phone connection, but we've never had as many technical issues with an interview as we did with this one. It took us more than two hours to get this recording, and Skype was kind enough to break it up into 22 separate files that I had to patch together. And if you're curious about the nature of these glitches, I've pieced together some of the more interesting ones into a clip, and we'll place it at the end of the episode. Some of it amused us even as it frustrated our efforts to conduct this interview. But you know me. I'm always the silver lining guy. The moment right here in this interview is, as far as I can tell, the only bit of audio that we couldn't recover. Still, while I was piecing all these shards together, I heard something that I'd missed during the live interview. Something that I think is worthy of its own investigation and its own episode. So I apologize for this missing section, but you'll be getting what I expect to be an interesting cryptid deep dive very soon all because of this very glitch. And that episode, I guess in a real sense, it'll be a complete son of a glitch.
0: Monster dog.
1: armor that will protect you in battle and so basically there's a tradition of you have the uh the the willpower of a fairy essentially so it's, it's meant as a good thing um you'll find uh, a lot of people will name their daughters azana you know as this protection it's an okay. old 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 tradition
0: i was just gonna say so that they're good fairies do they have bad fairies as well
1: not in this case where you have your bad is with your jinn and this is where it gets tied to your witchcraft and mm. these are your fun stories. Um, I love which I love witchcraft stories, particularly from Albania. So there's a whole entire subset of where things go. So the djinn, um, in the Albanian context is taken from your Arabic context and your Turkish context. I know it's been brought up with the show before um, mm. about gin. So basically, it's, the gin in this context is they're like wispy. They're not. Uh, they're not from Aladdin in this case. They're, the jinn is a strange being. Um, it is neither good nor evil. Um, it is. It can be indifferent. It could act good towards you. It could bring you ill will. Uh, the devil, shatan, uh, Satan, um, in the Islamic faith, is a jinn. Um, and so, basically, if you want to become a witch. It's not exactly as simple as signing your book in a name and meeting the devil in a field outside of Salem or something. It's not like <laughs> that context where this is a little bit more uh, complex. So basically, mm-hmm. if you want to become a striga, which you'll hear the names also in Romanian in Polish and some of your Slavic tongue, um, striga meaning witch or strigu is the male version. If you want mm-hmm. to become this. Uh, you have to go to, or wish for a djinn to come. The djinn, mm-hmm. as a, i.e. like a demon or creature, shall appear and shall make you write, you know, your name in a book, and then mm-hmm. will tell you, okay, for the next 40 days and 40 nights, you have a number of tasks you must do to prove that you really are deserving of this ability, and you have to understand that, you know, when you die, you will go to hell. Um you will grant be given all this type of wonderful skills and this and that, but you have to do such and such. Basically, mm-hmm. so, you have to, it's not really giving your soul away for free. You There's some cases where I was told of, uh, people knew of a witch, where they would have to sit out in a, say, like a trash, you know, trash cans, or sit out mm-hmm. in a large dump, and would go there 40 days and 40 nights. Some cases, kill animals and create sacrifices. Um, you'll hear extreme of, kill a, a young child. Mm-hmm. It, it's really wild so at the end of it you get the powers to become possessed by a jinn and you become able to go into church you can go to mosque but if somebody suspects you of a witch they may look at you for a few things where in Western tradition you have the uh the devil's mark and this they will look for if you have blue eyes because in this uh-huh. area blue eyes is a recessive gene you know in general uh-huh. for people but here it's not common to see people with blue eyes so it's seen as Oh, you have blue eyes. That's odd. Why do you have blue eyes? Um, Maybe you're a witch.
0: Um, I'm interrupting you at a bad point, but I just wanted to ask if Albania was affected by the, the witch craze and how it was affected.
1: To an extent it was, and... Actually, really interesting. It very recently has as well. Again, in your very rural areas, you will only hear about this. Most people don't believe in this. Most people are just really good folklore or in their stories. Okay. But where I lived in a region in Deber, near Peshkopi, in uh, some of the smaller villages, mm-hmm. uh, there is still a belief by some people, and they will tell you straight to your face: "Yes, we have witches here, um, and who to warn you at, who to warn you of." So in the Balkan tradition, people believe. You shall serve them really good food. You know, if you're a guest, you're a stranger to house. They become part of your household. Someone you protect. You bring food to. You uh, listen to. They're your honored guests. They take it really serious. It's um, hmm. tradition of basa fidelity. Is and this like, like the sort of uh, the rules of hospitality? Absolutely. Okay. You find this about the Balkans. It's the best place on earth, at least I would argue, for hospitality. They take it very serious as an art form. Now. What's interesting is that not everyone does it for good. Now, on occasion, you'll hear people say, don't go to such and a place because they may hex you. They, may, uh, <laughs> they uh, may give you bad luck. It's called sahir or nemuna, depending on the context where you are of the era, bad luck curses. And they'll place a hex on you. And uh, you, know, you have to then be blessed by the uh, hoj, who is the imam. Or depending on if you're in a Christian part of the Albania, uh, go to the priest. Uh, Majority of Albania is about 70-ish percent or so Sunni Muslim with a small community of Shia Muslims. Um, And then you have your Bektashi, which are like your mystics. Um, They're unique and really cool. And then you have your predominantly Orthodox and a very small uh, Catholic group throughout the country. There is an Orthodox belief in witchcraft that if you were to uh, believe someone is a witch, you could trap them in the church. And you basically would take pig bones— turn shape it as a cross above the, uh, the gateway of the church and you can trap them inside and uh, you know do as you need a uh, uh, basically the old adage from the Bible suffer not a witch to live um, mm-hmm. they do take it serious in some areas with that but again mm-hmm. it's very extreme context on this. I don't want people to think that this is a common, that if you go to Albania, they're going to think that you're a witch if you show up in your eyes or something. It, it, this is very uncommon and highly unlikely. <clears throat>
2: what what? Uh, so this is uh, something that keeps coming up in my witch research, which I apparently can't let like, go of. Um, what is a witch in the sense, uh, or, or like culturally, is it is it generally uh, seen as a person who perform certain actions or believe certain things or is it a kind of creature i ask this because i've noticed lately that in some of the witch lore i've been looking at the witch is almost like a monster unto itself Mm -hmm. rather than a normal person who takes up certain practices
1: that's a really good question. Um, a lot of it, at least, what it's become over time. I don't know, I can't speak of it as a creature on itself, but usually they deal with the jinn, which is its own creature being, spirit being in itself. Uh, but generally it is a human who, for whatever reason, has given up its soul. Uh, it usually it is where, it, like in your Western context, it gets very sexist, usually female um usually a woman for whatever reason shall give up her soul to get uh revenge and there's a very revenge is um revenge has become a a very unfortunately a negative term in albania um in western context if you know the movie like taken um with liam neeson yes exactly he has a very Um, specific set of skills (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. So. Witch hunting wasn't one of them. No, so. nor, nor was
2: actually preventing kidnapping. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on exactly. the rescues, not so good on the protection, right? So <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, he could have done a bit better. Uh, yeah. So in this case, when it comes to uh, it, revenge and tax, you will find it's what they call The Jachmarija is the blood curse, a blood oath. And so it's from an old tradition called the kanun. And so a lot of these traditions of folklore are from what is called the kanun, the canon. It's from old Greek and got blended into your various different Slavic and your Albanian regions. Keep in mind, Albanian, for everyone who's wondering, Albanians are not Slavs. Albanians are our own ethnic group of people with their own very unique tongue, and it's a very difficult language to learn, trust me. So, um, (laughs) trust me. (laughs) And then you have your dialects that get even more confusing with it. Um, So, basically, this kanun, you have this tradition that... um, how people can live—it is basically rule books, uh, a rule book of stating how you can live, what you can make for dinner, um, and in the extreme cases, what happens if somebody does something to your family. And wow. so, it's very a so lot with your witchcraft tales. I'll tell you a story that I was told uh, from my time there. Um, it, this goes back to 1998. This is just after the Civil War. There's a prominent man in a neighboring village uh, called Kolbtišt, and. It's near the border with what is now North Macedonia, and so basically he dies of heart attack. And apparently he had some issues with a neighbor who, supposedly, she was a witch. Of course, it has to be. She had blue eyes and all of it. It has to be. Uh. It has to fit through this. Um, (laughs) So basically, she uh, at his death. You know, this is an Islamic funeral, so there's two separate uh, ways of funeral. So you have the men carry out the casket with the imam. And the barrow, and then the women come after, and will mourn. And so, basically, during this time, she comes out during the time when the men are there, and she starts to place a curse upon this man's family for whatever reason it was. And so, basically, uh, it curses the entire family, where his daughter will not be able to uh, procreate. And every time that you know this, uh, his daughter um, tried to you know have a child with her newly beloved husband, she would miscarry. She miscarried three times, so they go to the imam, the hoj, and he has to perform from the great surah two fifty five, uh, which is the ward against curse, uh, curses, ward against witchcraft. It's uh, you know God's blessing, um, and so basically after this, she's able to have a child, and so they'll tell you this is how this all began. You know, a lot of these areas cursed. There's actually from where I used to live in this area, a story of actually the devil himself came and visited. And he possessed a young boy and uh, created this torment for the family. They had to perform an exorcism on this boy. So a lot of this, I would argue, is born out of the conflict of the 1990s. You're talking about in the 1990s in the West, we all were doing really well. You know, people, you know time for booming. The economy was great. You know, you know, well, at least on paper. And, you know, things were going well for most people in a Western context. Not in the Balkans. This area was a time of great conflict. You had your genocides and uh, economic meltdowns throughout the region, including all the way into Russia. And where law was felt like it wasn't being met because the government had collapsed, people turned to themselves and said, "Okay, well, fine. We can create our own laws, and we look to these old traditions of Albania called the Kanun, and we will basically uh, weed out our own uh, misfortunes in our communities." So this is where this comes into. Um, and then, so I strongly suspect a lot of this was born out of. Uh,
2: when we were preparing for the show, you mentioned Albania is also a, uh, a place heavy in witch lore and fairy lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, is that tied into this or is this more of a historical?
1: Uh... It, it's a way to blame people because during this time, this is where you start seeing your stories again of witchcraft coming about. <laughs> and so this is a way to blame people uh, for... You know, find out who did what in the community. So as the as the country's, you know, and the government's collapsing around you and things are becoming difficult and you can't, you know, you have no more money and you believe that, oh, this person has died in my family because such and such has put a hex on my family. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy to go after and target. And is, so this is what happened.
2: Is there a um, a legal way to address these kind of charges or is this all being done at more of a, a community level, or like, like, so, it's, are there basically? Is this like a full blown witch hunt in the you know sort of classic <laughs> sense? Yeah.
1: yeah, It's it's extrajudicial. Yeah, um, these thank are extrajudicial, right? Yes, excellent,
2: absolutely. Not so excellent that it's extrajudicial, but thank you for giving the right term to my rambling. <laughs> no, 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 very no, no, succinct.
0: <laughs> and I wanted to ask you about about the the state of uh, witchcraft in yes. Albania today is there any uh practice of witchcraft as a kind of folk medicine as it is yes. in some parts of the world or yes. like here you've got uh, paganism and you've got wicca which can be seen as religions for some people mm-hmm. do you have mm-hmm. any practicing of witchcraft as a religion there today
1: um well unofficially yes you do mm-hmm. have so it's 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 strange because they will mix in particularly your muslim communities it, 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 when i say muslim communities i'm talking about these are a uh, very uh you know relaxed muslims they they're they're not super super uber religious like you may think of the middle east or something or uh in your stereotypical sense these are people who uh take ramadan you know and they'll celebrate it but they also really love alcohol they'll eat their meats yeah you know they'll, they'll chill and relax if they have a coffee and uh, but yes, there uh, uh, there are some uh, pagan beliefs you'll find that get blended in, and mm-hmm. some people will celebrate it. But generally, it's not a good thing to go around saying, you know, I I, I practice witchcraft or something like that. It's <laughs> right. not really a good thing, especially in your smaller communities. It's like, eh, you really
0: want to start that?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because here, of course, it can be seen as a, as a naturalistic thing, a nature-loving kind of practice and being in touch with the earth and
2: yeah, it's a positive yeah. thing. It can no, this be. Yeah, but it's also it can yeah, be. It can yeah. be.
1: Yeah. But in this case, it's more like, uh, "Oh, you're converting with uh, the devil." <laughs>
2: right. <that's> right.
1: <laughs> it's,
2: it's the risk between. Um, uh, they're sort of viewing it as a out not an outlaw, but like uh, it gives like it's, it could be like a a fringy type belief. Uh, yeah. You know, it could be considered new agey, but mm-hmm. all those things, I think, that's different from witchcraft as a form of evil there's witchcraft uh as religion witchcraft uh as folklore witchcraft uh-huh. as uh, uh a scapegoat for you know uh out it, you know othering someone uh mm-hmm. right. so it's 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 like it's a complicated concept we've touched it on it a little bit but uh uh it it it's interesting how uh, and I don't know what the words are uh, in Albania or, or in that region, in the Balkans in general, but the, the meaning of which, you know, has a lot of different uh, definitions and they can uh, be lethal if you get the wrong absolutely. one applied to you. So that's, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. A absolutely a problem. You know
1: what you may want to look in for, I'll give a quick. Uh, and you may want to look more into it. You know, the NVI or evil eye, um you do know, i other...
2: yeah i sure do yeah
1: <laughs> awesome awesome well basically this starts off in this a lot of this area you'll still see people hang up the evil slash nvi the blue eyes throughout the region that's to ward away evil spirits and particularly strig witches mm-hmm. wow. so you'll see them cross people's homes and you say strig, um, and strig
2: for witches but that's different from strigoy as vampire right
1: Right, yeah. Strigoi, vampire in parts of Romania. Striga is your uh, Albanian and Slavic tongue for Do you happen to
2: know if the etymology is related?
1: I don't know that for certain, but it might. It it does sound similar, but I can't say for certain on that. Now, there's also in this area where I used to live real quick with ghosts. And also, to a small extent, you have these vampire-like creatures called Lugat because there's these old Orthodox churches back going to the... Eastern Roman Empire that were believed to where uh, you know, they protected you from these uh, creatures, lugats, you know, these vampire-like creatures. And with their ghost stories, I will start with the most famous ghost story in all of Albania, and then I'll talk about the region I lived in. Um, so there was this belief in uh, Constantine and Dorintia, and so or Constantine basically and Doreen, and so basically it's this belief. Uh, it's been made famous in, uh, by Ismail Kadara. He's a famous Albanian writer who, personally, I don't think he's that great, but anyway, <laughs> everyone loves him. He's the most famous Albanian writer of them all. So basically, um, he wrote of this tale. It goes back very, very many centuries. Um, and so basically, it mixes in a lot of pagan tradition, Albanian folklore tradition, and your Christian tradition of the time. Um, so basically, there's a young girl from a large family. The husband has already you know, passed away, and it's just the mother and these children, mostly all boys and one girl. And basically all the boys uh, are sent off very times to war. And so the young girl, she is promised off to a foreigner um, where her life will be better and happier. But no one really wants to do this. And you'll find in Albanian tradition, this goes into the modern day to varying extents, um, not wanting to send your kids abroad. You know, this idea of you stay within your community, help your community. So it's kind of like a warning story in a sense. So finally, the young, youngest son named Constantine, he agrees that, yes, she shall go over, but she shall keep to her promise called besa, the fidelity, that, you know, I promise that I will bring her back once a year from this faraway land back to her homeland here. And the mother finally says, OK, fine, you can go. And so Constantine is, though, sent into war. and. For years and years and years, he never comes back. It's suspected he died in battle, but no one knew for sure. And finally, one night, um, his mother weeps for him. "You know, "Why have you failed us? Why have you not brought back your, your sister? Why is she not here?" Well, one night at his sister's uh, new home in this faraway land, a white horse appears, and at, near, near her palace, and she sees it, she goes out recognizing it as her brother's horse. She hops upon it. And rides back and finds she gets back to her homeland. And she goes into the house and sees her mother. And they're happy and elated and wondering, how did you get here? Well, brother's horse came to get me. It's this white glowing horse. The door opens and Constantine comes in as a ghost. He came back as he promised. Even if it was seven years later, he promised he'd be back for them. And so they died at the sight of him. Um, They were shocked, you know, scared to death. And so it is that tradition of uh, you need to protect your homeland. You need to keep your family together. And this Mm -hmm. is very strong. And you'll find this during the uh, dictatorships under the monarchy, under King Zog. This tradition of fidelity was very big. Love your country. Be one with your country because the country had gone through a very bloody time during World War I and the 20s. Love your country. Then during – after World War II, after the rise of the Stalinist dictatorship of Enver Hoxha, it was – forget the world around you, look to communism, forget everything, get rid of religion, we're banning religion, we are closing the country down literally. So basically, think of Albania as the North Korea of the modern day. Um, it was even poorer than North Korea, believe it or not, uh, technically by GDP standards. So people were forced onto collective farms, fight for your family, fight for the regime, fight for a country, uh, glory to the motherland, death to the imperialists. Um, There is this tradition, and you'll find it to varying degrees, you know, people look back on these traditions as with democracy has risen, people have more rights, people can leave the country now, but they see it as our children are leaving, and they're poorer now. You go to university, now you have debt. You know, we can't uh, own a farm anymore because the land has changed, or people bought up the land, you know, speculated the land. So you find these old traditions come back, and it bleeds into the landscape now again.
0: That's so just amazing to to have politics interwoven into ghost stories.
1: Absolutely, it's I, very... I actually love it.
0: <laughs> and what about the climate today? Uh, are ghosts commonly believed in Albania? Is it uh-huh. something that so it's still a popular belief?
1: Absolutely, not in your cities. As I said, like with Romania, in your cities, mm-hmm. it's it's just it's more like a joke. Uh, but in your smaller communities, absolutely, um, there's a very uh, like I said, I brought up earlier about the devil possessing a boy, witches possessing people, and you know getting <laughs> right. attacked and uh pos- you know cursing people at their uh, their death. It's kind of something I like the Bell Witch, almost like. Okay. Um, yeah. But you have stories of uh, ghostly parades. Uh, that will move through parts of towns and villages at during marriage time. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, you'll hear about uh, ghosts in homes. Um, you'll hear about you know animals that are possessed, particularly. Um, and uh, you can't, for example, you can't have rabbits in your house in parts of uh, more traditional Islamic Albania because um, okay. they're seen as conduits of evil. Um, you're bringing curse upon the house. And so if you want to say you want to end evil in a household, you say, "mazush, may this evil be the end of all evil. You know, mm-hmm. it's like one word, but it means so much. And people, you'll hear people say that, or they'll say, uh, inshallah, God willing, or kismet, mm-hmm. hopefully, and they'll touch their nose real quick, and they'll say it's mm-hmm. the ward off evil, kind of like throwing salt over. Actually, that tradition's there, too. Throw salt over your shoulder to ward away evil. You'll have all these little traditions that come up. People really do believe, it, and they take it serious. Even mm-hmm. if the religion has been banned for so long, and people are more secular, uh, they take a more spiritual side of things.
2: Yeah. You mentioned uh, rabbits. Does that uh, include hares as well, or is it specifically? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, is yep. that is it tied to witch folklore like it is in uh, uh, yep. more Western Europe? Okay.
1: Yep. Or- Jinn and okay. witches. Yep.
2: Wow. So so the, the djinn, I guess because of the uh, uh, Islamic influence in the region, is, uh, mm-hmm. is a, a, a fairly widespread belief.
1: Uh yes uh well like properly Shaitan is seen as an actual as a jinn you know uh, a jinn who um challenged God over Adam um so basically and there's this belief that if you want to become a witch you have to go to a jinn and the jinn will test you and the jinn will make sure that you then become a witch and uh, there's actually a movie just came out uh it's very I don't think it's fantastic uh, but it's called Bloodlands. And it has English subtitles, but it's the first Albanian horror movie. It just came out last year. I saw it on opening day. It was, uh, It's an okay for a start. I give credit for you know, for a start. Um, but it explores some of this tradition. Wow. Yeah, hmm. Bloodlands. I, I saw that uh, years ago
2: there was a, a, a Vlad Tepes. Is that how you say that? Vlad Tepes? Tepes. Tepes. Vlad Tepes. Uh-huh. There was a Vlad <laughs> Tepes movie that was uh, dealing with him historically, uh mm-hmm. and then the uh the footage they had of uh his uh impaling people you know vlad the impaler mm-hmm. uh was gruesome. pretty darn gruesome, yeah, and i can imagine uh if you're trying to stop uh invaders and they come across a hill and then there's you know a forest of people stuck on sticks it's uh
1: yeah I like to tell you yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh is this Coppola's film by <sighs> chance no. They have a scene with that in the very beginning. They
2: do. This was uh, a local one. Uh, it wasn't. It had nothing to do with vampires, if I recall. It was uh, just dealing with him as a documentary a mil- military hero kind of thing. So
1: yeah, yeah. Please, you know, it's interesting with the whole Dracula thing. If you ask people, you know, the whole thing about Dracula being tied to vampires is a Western lore thing. This yeah. was born. Mm-hmm. This is not in Romania. So in Romania, as I brought up earlier, they're not the same. Um, right. These are like you know, basically for. Vampire is very interesting based on region. So, for vampires in the Dracula hole connection, didn't come out until about 1975. So, under the dictatorship of uh, sorry Nikolai Ceausescu, uh, Nikolai Ceausescu was trying to be a strange mix of Western and Soviet in his alliances. And so, basically, he uh, looked out to the West and he created a Dracula year, essentially, in 1975 to try and bring Western money to uh, starving Romania at this point. Uh, the economy was starting to tank, oil prices were dropping, and the country needed a lot of help. Um, things weren't going as well as he was promising the people. So there was this tradition that uh, the first uh, Dracula book started, to be actually printed at this point in Romanian, um, because before then there was no copy of Dracula in uh, Romania. Um, there was a, this is where you start seeing like the castle, like Bran Castle, which has nothing to do with Dracula, but it became Dracula's castle. And, you know, come here for Halloween. <laughs> if you want to see like more where actual Dracula grew up, you want to go to Sigiswara, Targoviste, and parts of Hunadora or Huniade if you ask the Hungarians. Um, these are all very uh, where actually more the real Dracula or parts of Bucharest. But I'll be very honest with you. While Dracula was important – he's not the most important figure in Romanian history. He's like the most 10th or 11th most important figure if you ask people. So that's more like a Western idea of him.
0: <laughs> so I have to uh, say too, there's a um, a local cemetery here and it's believed that there are vampires buried there because there's a headstone. I mean, we, we ended up tracing this story to a headstone that we found with someone who'd been born in Transylvania. Um mm-hmm. And so they were buried there, and Transylvania was mentioned on the headstone, and that was enough to basically start this urban legend that there were vampires in the cemetery.
1: Wow. Right.
0: Uh, so I wanted to ask about Transylvania. Does it actually exist, or is it more of a historical region?
1: Transylvania. So it's where Cluj is, where I used to go to university. It, it, it does exist. It is a real region. It was predominantly Hungarian. Um, okay. It means land beyond the forests. Um, it's from Latin um and so you have your various oh, different trans um, yeah sylvan sylvan okay okay yeah yeah
0: okay mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. makes sense i never
1: and really thought so, about that before wow exactly a lot of people don't yeah. uh until you get over there and so it's a very large area it's part of so if you think of a map of romania romania is a large size uh nation state of the region of the balkans it is up in the northwest of the country it goes up to the carpathian mountains and all this area so including like, cities like. Um, uh, Vulcan cities like Cluj, where I lived, Maramores, uh, Oradia, um, and uh, Braun in that area. Um, it goes up to the Carpathians. So, this area didn't become part of Romania until after World War One. This was part of the various Habsburg empires and it was very much fought over. Um, so yes, but it does, exist.
0: Land, eh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> pretty much all the land there is fought over uh, to this very day in varying degrees but yes so it does exist the southern part is Wallachia. that's where dracula was from two quick more stories if that's okay yeah two real quick ones so you have yeah. in your russian uh live russian influences you have uh, your baba yaga um, which is your version of like a witch-like creature as you brought up, and so you know she uh, is both good and evil. She's like a kind of like something out of a Grimm's fairy tale almost. She is neither good nor evil, but she can be indifferent. She'll eat you or can help you. It all really depends. <laughs> um, and then you have, if you know of American gods, you have a Chernobog um, oh, in yeah. the story. Yeah. So Chernobog is a Slavic uh, meaning a uh, black god. In, in Russian, it is still there. Chernaboga. so you have uh the black god and supposedly he fought his brother the white god and it was where your day and night came from and your winter and your summer and they battled each other through the year and so yes this is where uh with american gods it gets the tradition of chernabog nice
2: yeah that's a, a that's a great book uh from Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Blends
1: into Western Balkan tradition. So you'll hear people still talk about parts of like North Macedonia and Serbia. People talk about the black god as like a curse, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so uh, Baba Yaga uh, as, a, as a folklore figure. Um, mm-hmm. What what how would you describe her role? Does she have a sort of uh, any sort of counterpart in uh, Western Europe that uh, or so, so what kind of a figure
1: is she? She's a forest spirit. Almost. She is a witch-like creature. She's not human. She is a spirit of the woods. She's uh, neither good nor evil. She's uh, <laughs> assisting. Uh, she can help you or hinder you. Eat you or help you bring you great wealth. Um, but she is like... It, it almost seems like something out of Grimm's fairy tales when you read uh, the stories about Baba Yaga. Yeah. Um, but she'll walk around in like a, a bird-like creature. You know, mechanical, almost like wooden-like creature. Um, moves through the forest. So you hear various different tales about her. It can be very ambiguous.
2: Yeah, we talked about... She has, like... uh, She's a human with, like... She has bird feet, right? Excuse me. Yes, she can. Exactly. depends uh, on the version. uh, We were talking about Mothman with uh, Richard Haddam. He mentioned uh, some actual sort of cryptozoological uh, sightings of uh, people with bird legs, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Right. I'm wondering, uh, you know, I I think... um, she also has uh it, her house uh moves around. It reminds me of uh the house in uh, Howl's Moving Castle in, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I I assumed that that was related.
1: Right. Has some? I'm sure it probably does. I don't know mm-hmm. for certain, but I'm sure there's probably some connection. But if anyone hasn't seen it, watch it. It's such a fantastic movie. Oh golly, yeah, yeah, it sure is. Yeah, that one. Uh, Just Miyazaki in general. All, all the
2: Studio <laughs> Ghibli stuff is, uh, you know, like uh, that one and uh, Princess Mononoke, Chris. Not, nothing to do with Europe, but it is very cool
1: movie. <laughs> Actually, Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso is about the Adriatic, yeah. about Italy, and deals with the Balkans and former Yugoslavia. So I recommend during the Kingdom of Yugoslavia times and fascist Italy. If you want, for people who haven't seen Porco Rosso, I highly recommend it. It is probably um, one it, of the
2: best cartoons about aviation pigs.
1: Uh, <laughs> Flying pigs? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> pigs can fly. Yes. Well, they do. <laughs>
0: So, Chris, we have a final question that we want to ask you that we like to ask all of our guests, and that Mm -hmm. is, what's your favorite monster?
1: Uh Uh-huh. One of my favorites. I love how you guys end this. Um, So, for me, I like the more at-home lore, actually getting away from the Balkans here. So, being from the the Mid-Atlantic area, we have the Snallygaster. Oh, yeah? The Snallygast. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the the Quick ghost. Um, it is born out of your German immigrants to move to Western Maryland, Western Pennsylvania and West Virginia and Virginia. And they talked about this odd creature that will, uh, lift people up at night. It's a, like a bird, like a pterodactyl ish short creature <laughs> with a <laughs> weird octopus like tongue. And it will <sighs> take people from their homes at night and kidnap them and, uh, apparently, apparently yeah, it's, it's, it's just a fun – there's even a tale and a story of one that falls into a, a vat of uh, grain alcohol during Prohibition era and <laughs> the FBI blowing it up. It, it's great. <laughs> it
0: that is a right great answer, around. and I think it's another one that we haven't had. Of late, we've been having a, a lot of uh, answers to this question that are unique. Yeah.
1: So- I recommend it, looking into it.
2: It's very much a chimera, yeah. It's a it's an interesting you know hybrid of uh, lots of different pieces. It is
1: same with the Jersey Devil because I love the folklore when it starts getting with Ben Franklin and this and this basically creating this war between uh, your Farmers Almanac and your Leeds Almanac and uh, turning into well, the Jersey Devil is created out of this, right? So. Yeah. I just find it absolutely fascinating people reporting to see this thing and the real folklore behind it. And I love yeah. asking people, and I've been up in Pennsylvania and Jersey, like, have you ever seen the Jersey Devil? Most people say no, but once in a while, like, yeah, I've seen it. It's a Pine boy. Really. Well, let's talk.
0: Chris, Chris, you need to write a book, I think, on on Balkan monsters and vampires and
1: I'm, witches and ghosts. I'm actually working on one. Oh, cool. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, keep in touch with us about it.
1: Yes, of course, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us Chris. Thank, thank you
0: yeah this this is really interesting. It's such a huge topic too. I mean, we're excited about talking about this, but there's just so much more to it than than even we imagined.
2: Yeah, and you know with the, with this format, we can only sort of like lightly graze the topic. So have you got any books you can recommend for listeners that, who want to dig a little deeper?
1: Absolutely. So for Albania, I highly recommend recommend the Highland loot. Um, It is not the greatest translation in English, but it's very good and goes into your various different folklores uh, from war to ghosts to just language. Um, In terms of for the region as a Balkans region, I would highly recommend Maria Teodorovna. She is a Bulgarian uh, Balkans expert uh, from the region and give you the actual. Tim Judah is a very good writer on the Western Balkans and the Yugoslav wars. And I recommend the book Romanian Furrow, which is about 1930s monarchy Romania and your peasant traditions and beliefs, um, written by an Englishman who had explored the old kingdom of Romania.
0: Great suggestions. Uh, Thank you.
1: Thank you. In in all seriousness, thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great honor. I love your guys' show.
0: Monster
2: Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
2: You just heard an interview with Christopher Klimovitz about the monsters and folklore of the Balkans. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed here are those of myself and my guests and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, We now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for your support and for listening. Want to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe
3: to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society.
0: Visit skeptic.com to sign up. It was a great way to find...
1: Yeah, <laughs> are you there? I, I'm here. Okay. That's, so uh, we
0: can't hear we can't hear Like
1: that uh into battle shall seek out the into Battle shall seek out the Zarbanian Zana. There we are. Sorry.
0: We just okay. Pause there. We're yeah, back uh, again. So,
1: Three we yeah. just start over, ten over, ten
3: over, ten 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 over, over, ten over, ten over, 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 and over, 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 ten over, over, ten over, ten over, ten over, over, ten over, ten over, 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 ten 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 over 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 ten over
0: ten over 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 over